Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog, from Fuga A to Fuga Z. Joining me today to discuss Margin Walker from the 1989 Margin Walker EP is Jason Simon, singer and guitarist in Dead Meadow. How you doing, Jason? I'm doing pretty well. Nice. I'm glad to hear yeah. it. Uh, I'm I'm feeling kind of crappy myself. I got that second dose of uh, of the COVID vaccine yesterday, and oh man, I feel like I got hit by a truck. Yeah, is it a bit worse than the first, do you think? It was for me. I, I, I wore like three layers to bed, and I was like lying in bed shivering with a fever. It's nasty. Oh, no. Yeah, I got the second one coming uh, on Tuesday. So uh, Pfizer, I guess, on Tuesday, the second shot. So I might be right there with nice. you then. Sweet. Well, it's worth it. Worth it. Yeah, of course, of course. But I feel good uh, that I'm talking about Margin Walker with you. It's an honor to have you on the show. Um, for people who don't know much about Dead Meadow, like I know there are some real big uh, Fugazi overlaps with you guys. So, um, you know what? Before we get into that, I just wanted to, to say, uh, I, this is something I didn't know uh, until today. I was l- looking up some stuff about you. You are probably the first guest I've had on the show who has who has had at least a signature fuzz pedal made. That's pretty rad. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's actually a, more than one because uh, the company did... Uh, well, there's the one that Tim in Australia from Tim's Guitars made a Dead Meadow pedal, and Steve Kelly, our bass player, did the graphics for it. So it looks like a, I don't know, classic Steve, Pil- Steve Kelly kind of Dead Meadow art. Yeah, it looks pretty awesome. And that's kind of just, just brutal. Yeah, it's cool. It's, that one's really brutal fuzz. I feel like that kind of sounds like the way... Uh, uh, fuzz pedal sounds with the amp cranked but it's like all just in the pedal but there's another company uh tsvg out of philadelphia i think i'm not even sure if they're around anymore i haven't heard much from them but they made a pedal called babbling flower which was named after a dead meadow song that that is a really cool almost like battery sag kind of pedal oh sweet yeah I'm, I'm looking at it now looks like it's out of stock so um yeah i need dead meadow heads out there yeah, uh, I always thought it was cool, but recently I've been using it a lot on some stuff. Awesome. Really cool, buzzy, uh, broken kind of sound that I dig. It's, it's uh, Fuzz pedals are addictive, man. There's <laughs> They're just so fun. I know, I know, but man, still, I, I have an old Deluxe, and that thing turned up is still the best distortion, the best crunch, the best compressed squish sound you know something nothing beats like an amp a lot of times a small amp just really cranked to me you know and fuzz pedal on top of it but i love that when you just hear those amps kind of like cave in on themselves so they get to that certain volume yeah for sure well you and ian mckay both for sure um Mm -hmm. but yeah so uh, the fugazi connection so a few things right you released your first couple of albums through joe lally's label um tolada records you opened for fugazi at least three times as far as i could see yeah I think it was three times. Yeah. And apparently your Peel session was the only one ever recorded outside the UK. And in fact, you guys recorded it at Fugazi's home studio in Arlington? Yeah, it was Joe Lally's house. So that's where they were practicing at the time. Oh, wow. And they had an A-track set up there. So yeah, we were just down in the basement where they were, uh, him and his wife were upstairs just doing their normal daily stuff and popping in here and there. And uh, yeah, we tried to keep it real raw as if we were like, you know, in the radio doing it live. And... Oh yeah, then yeah, and then John Peel talked over it like we were in the studio, which was really cool. So we got his voice on that recording, introducing it and whatnot. So there's clearly so much Fugazi overlap to talk about with you guys, but uh, maybe it makes more sense to 
go back to the beginning? Like, do you remember when you first uh, got into Fugazi and uh, how you got to be a fan? Yeah, of you know, I guess uh, starting high school, I was pretty much uh, just into Iron Maiden, and uh, you know, then all of a sudden grunge hit. I guess towards the end of my freshman year or sophomore year, and then I had like a sort of brief period when that kind of turned me around and started thinking about all this stuff, and then really fast. I got into sub pop and then from there it was just like, oh wait, there's all this is going on in my own city, you know, like oh this band Fugazi I keep hearing about. And then 13 songs is actually the first one I got probably in 10th grade. And it's funny because not really knowing that much about it, you know, this era pre uh, YouTube and pre internet, you know, I was like, wait, which singer? Wait, there's two singers. They sound so different. You know, I kind of, you know, I knew the name uh, Ian McKay more than anyone else, but I didn't really know which was who was who. And why? And like one guy sounds like this, but that's definitely a different guy on that. Uh, so it took me a while, and then eventually, finally, I saw them live, and I, and then it was just, you know, they're I think one of the best live bands I know that I've ever seen, and I'm I feel bad for people that never got a chance to see them live because I miss it, you know, more and more. I just uh, they're just so great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's out of the bands that have like two lead singers, Fugazi is <laughs> like I can't think of any. A band that their singers sound more different mm. than Fugazi's, which is yeah, nice, you know. Like, it's sort of I don't I don't like like to try to like really figure out which guy is singing. Like with Fugazi, there's never any. Yeah, question. definitely. I mean, yeah, it's this. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, the second they open their mouth, and and they're both like kind of really idiosyncratic, unusual singers too. They're like, oh, this guy has this kind of weird voice, and this guy's like when you first hear it, and this guy has this other weird thing, you know. It's great though, yeah. And they're so yeah, their whole personas on stage. And I, I don't know, they just work together so well, but are so so different. From that point on, from tenth grade, probably, you know, for a, year, a few years after high school, you know, Discord Records was the main thing. You know, all going through all that all catalog, Nation Ulysses and Circus Lupus and whatnot. And uh, I definitely think, you know, if there's any one label I could be on, you know, it's Discord. You know, I wanted to be a band that, if not, you know exactly like Fugazi was in that vein in playing music like Fugazi and that, that that was what I loved my friends loved and I think it's funny because you know you wouldn't want it to and you see them around DC and you know it's it's a small community but they're also it's like a pretty tight-knit community too so coming from the suburbs sometimes it's hard to like felt to like get involved in, in the scene and stuff and especially that scene and then uh you know, I me in college and just getting slowly into other stuff and back into Zeppelin and then uh, a friend, Corey, had tons of Hendrix videos that we would just watch. And it kind of eventually kind of moved on to something else. You know, we're like, all right, you know, I'm kind of like, I don't, not sick of Fugazi because they were awesome, but that it felt like the post-punk thing had kind of reached this point that a lot of bands were like doing this angular thing and it didn't feel that punk anymore. It felt like almost the status quo, you know? So, and so then it was kind of like, well, you know what would really freak people out if we just got echoes and fuzz pedals and and a wah and try to do these long drawn out songs that instead of these two minute punk songs let's do an eight minute song that <laughs> repeats the same part over and over again you know and uh you know we're de definitely smoking a lot of weed and uh it's gonna you know, so it was almost like a reaction against the what had become like that discord angular sound that i love and still love but it was like at the time it just seemed like we're gonna freak people out with this and uh it's funny you know because i think uh, we were playing for a while, but once, like, I think maybe Ian McKay heard it first. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, Fugazi just being open-minded and into music that's different than them right away, I think we're like, oh, this is this is cool. This is great. It's a band from D.C. doing something different. And we were coming out of still that kind of world more than the metal world, you know. So I think it did kind of work in that way. 
And uh, I guess I think Ian turned Joe onto it, from what I remember. And he was like, oh, you should put this band out. Because Joe had done some stuff with uh, The Obsessed and uh, Spirit Caravan. I don't know if you're familiar with those bands. There's Wino, who's a kind of a legendary stoner rock figure that was in uh, St. Vitus as well. But I think, I think Joe was kind of more involved in that scene even before Fugazi. Yeah, yeah. My understanding is he's a metalhead from way back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he had stories about living in like these metal houses in College Park and some pretty crazy ones. That, but uh, yeah, so he had put out records for this guy Wino, who is a legendary kind. And it was cool to go see those shows too at the time because I've been seeing Fugazi the shows like punk shows. So even seeing the, some of these like slow stoner metal shows for us, we're like, whoa, this is something so different. You know, like we were never metal kids, but we we're like, what if we kind of took this thing like you know from the '60s and tried to do it without all the cheesy stuff that happened in between. And, uh, but it was just cool at Fugazi, I think right away was, you know, uh, really supportive and had us come open for them. And it's funny because, you know, after years and years of basically just wanting to play with Fugazi, once you get to a point then I was like, all right, we're doing something totally different. You know, you know, like I'm over this, I want to play with these metal bands, you know? And then, uh, all that, that fell into place and we actually did, which was, you know, amazing. For listeners who want to look up those shows on the, like on the Fugazi live series archive it looks like the dates were uh april 21st 2001 april 25th 2001 and uh uh march 23rd 2002 so yeah there's the the dead meadow fugazi shows awesome yeah i remember um the one i think in north carolina uh you know up there doing that sort of wild echoplex guitar so i think uh kind of almost getting heckled a bit you know with somebody just yelling black sabbath but you're yelling in this really like derogatory went way you know and I, and I was like yeah cool black sabbath but i think it was like some fan there was there was a little bit of that you know which i think fugazi maybe enjoyed too like let's throw something up there that is not what they're expecting you know or something that yeah i remember seeing them at fort reno and it, like my memory at least of it was they always had pretty different bands open for them at least at that venue and it mm-hmm. was like they just wanted to they just wanted to expose people to some different shit i guess I remember seeing them, uh, I'm not sure, with maybe in the tent down in Smithsonian, you know, one of those things with a go-go band down there that was really cool. Must have been one of those Smithsonian like summer festivals. I think they had DC as one of their cultural tents. Yes. Any any particular memories from those shows interacting with Fugazi, uh, recording in Joe's house, like any any interesting little tidbits that our Fugazi-obsessed listeners would be like super interested to hear? Yeah, I'm trying to think. You know, we, we also actually mixed a record with Brendan Canty. Uh the first record we did for oh, wow. for Matador, you know, they gave they gave us some money, and uh, in hindsight, we probably should have gone to a studio because we didn't know much. But you know, we were like, "Cool, let's why go into studio when we can buy our own recording gear?" So we bought a bunch of stuff and uh, recorded and mixed this record. And um, basically, the the mix was pretty crazy that we did. So uh, they were like, "You know, you have to remix this." And we're like, oh, "What are we gonna do?" And somehow, yeah, we got in touch with Brendan, or someone suggested Brendan. So we went over to Brendan's basement and hung out there for a week. Uh, each night and, and mix that whole record. And it's funny because I think I, the only band I remember talking about with them is uh, the Grateful Dead. I think we talked about the Grateful Dead most every night in their sound system, which people wouldn't necessarily think <laughs> of when they think of Fugazi. But uh, trying to think, need some uh, some other memories. You know, they are uh, uh, definitely spent the most time with Joe. I mean, I see we saw him in Italy a few times when he was living over there. Uh, such a nice guy, so sweet. Someone was telling me, I think Steve was saying that maybe Ian even might have paid for the first re- the records, even on Tolada, or he knew in a way he was like, we should put this out, or you should put this out. It's not really Discord-type stuff, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll cover it. 
Oh, wow. That, uh, that's yeah, sweet. that's what uh, Steve and Mark, the drummer and bass player, were telling me. And then I was like, really? And they're like, well, you didn't know that? But I guess I never <laughs> did. Shout out to Ian. Well, uh, maybe uh, more things will come to mind as we discuss today's song, which is Margin Walker. Uh, this is a pretty big song. So first of all, it's uh, as far as Fugazi's live performances, this is the number six most played song ever. Oh, wow. Approximately 426 outings for Margin Walker. So yeah, this is big top 10 material here for Fugazi. Definitely. Um, it is, It is of course, the first song on the Margin Walker EP. Um, and I think... Maybe because I haven't addressed it on this podcast before, it might be a good chance just to talk about that EP in general and the cover of it, which is like very interesting idiosyncratic cover art to this one, like pretty different from other Fugazi uh, cover art. Oh, yeah. The, um, the close up. It's like so it's a close up of Ian Mackay, uh, his eyes sort of looking upward and he has this stuff on his face that looks like cake frosting or I thought it was shaving uh, cream maybe like I thought that. it was like shaving cream like he was shaving or something is what is what was what my initial impression I guess that's what I was just assumed but maybe I haven't looked close enough I do have the record inside yeah the um, the thing that I discovered recently uh, hat tip to Paul Warham who pointed this out to me but uh, per the, the podcast the discourse episode number nine uh, with uh, previous guests to this podcast, David DeKaiser and Nick Feely, um, they they mentioned on that that the cover is basically a parody of the Damned record uh, called Damned, Damned, Damned from 1977. Ah, and interesting. If you look it up, that record has like basically the whole band uh, after they were hit by pies on the cover. I'm gonna look it up right now. Uh, yeah, there's a fun little story on Wikipedia about that record cover, and. Um, yeah, about them like throwing cream cakes or pies or whatever, and then uh, oh, yeah, yeah, just taking the, mm-hmm. the cover photo like oh, that. Oh yeah, of course I know that. Wow, interesting. Um, but yeah. as far as the Margin Walker, yeah, as far as the Margin Walker cover photo, that photo was taken by uh, Thomas or Tomas Squip of Beefeater. Uh huh. I'm a Beefeater, and it's uh yeah. It, so it's it it definitely does seem like it could be a, a parody or tribute to that damned record cover but it's it's cool because like it's an example of uh fugazi and ian mckay in particular with a bit of a sense of humor which a lot of people like a common impression of of them was that they're a very serious band which uh real heads know is like they have they have a really good sense of humor but this is this Mm -hmm. is well one of the only real visible examples of it outside of yeah i feel like that's why instrument film and stuff yeah and reading uh Almost anything you read about Fugazi at this point or see will always say that, you know, like, though thought of as incredibly serious, you know, you know, like, uh, they actually were always joking, you know, you know, they weren't like, though they took the art very seriously and serious about yeah. beliefs and whatnot, you know, you know, they were all, yeah, they certainly were always laughing when, I, when, when we were hanging out with them or joking and ha- having a good time. And as far as the EP in general, that's also a bit of a departure from the rest of their career because... Uh, this is the EP that was recorded in London mm-hmm. at Southern Studios John instead of at Inner Ear. Yeah, John Loder. And the story goes that Fugazi had just finished their first European tour, and uh, it was like intended to be their first studio album, but the band members were just basically exhausted, and they thought their performances were subpar for some of the songs, so they just sort of cut it down to the to an EP of the the good performances and that's uh, where that came from and I guess they saved other songs for for later recordings yeah I guess for Peter it would be then uh, 
Yeah, and I think that was the only one yeah. I remember. I probably from I think from maybe Ted talking about it on one of your podcasts that it was tracked not all live that they had done it in different pieces. Maybe I think was that from. Uh, Yes, I do remember him saying that. Yeah, yeah, which is really interesting to me. And listening to it back now, I I never thought that back in the day. And knowing that it wasn't recorded at inner ear, I don't think I necessarily realized that back in the day because I just thought of 13 songs as one record when I first got it. Uh, Yeah, you can really tell that's this different kind of vibe or certain record to a lot of the recordings. I don't I don't know. It's one of those things where I think maybe if I didn't know that tidbit, I I wouldn't think that I noticed the difference. Yeah. But yeah, who knows? Yeah, exactly. Maybe to discerning ears, you um, can tell that that's going on. Yeah, totally. And another thing about the cover that was interesting, and when uh, I was saying before, I just uh, a friend had sent me the 33 and a third on In on the Kill Taker, and they were talking about how uh, up till the In on the Kill Taker record, for them, the cover was just kind of something to throw together, like, oh, throw that on. You know, they didn't put too much thought into it, which is interesting to me because those covers are, you know, are, are really cool. Repeater, I think they're great. But uh, for me, always part of the record was like instantly like, oh, wow, now I really get to think about the cover and what kind of vibe it shapes the whole way. You kind of picture the record in your mind. So it's something that was always like really prevalent and like kind of a joy after spending a you know, mixing it and the hard part of getting through all these songs. Now we have this easy part of like really coloring the record in a cool way. And yeah, it was interesting to me that they did say that, that only then with uh, Jem Cohen starting to do the covers were they really more like, okay, let's kind of create a vibe with this cover, you know, something that kind of paints a certain image or paints a color on, on the record. One interesting thing about that is that a while back, the Discord Facebook account posted these like mock-ups of the cover from, I guess, the the archives or something. But you can see where they sort of like sketched out the photo and and like did little basic I don't know grease pencil notes and about like what they wanted where and what things should look like so it it does seem like um it's it's a thing that showed you more thought went into it than you you might have noticed at first so I'll I'll put a link to that in the show notes that's cool well yeah I didn't really think that I think it was something that like I read I'm not I can't remember who was saying it, it was someone from one of the guys in Fugazi was saying that that they really didn't think of it as much until then. So I don't know, but obviously maybe they did. Because if they, you know, I mean, I always loved the covers. And I never even saw that cover actually until way later because, you know, I had a CD of 13 songs and repeater. So I think it was, I don't know, a bit later on when I finally realized and saw that, I was like, oh, strange. This is the cover to, to those <laughs> six songs. As far as the song Margin Walker in particular, uh, the only introductory note I really have about the content is, so this is something I've been unable to track down exactly, uh, so maybe the uh, the real Fugazi obsessives out there can sort of help me find this, but friend of the show, Jared Coffin, who's the admin of the Facebook group, this is not a Fugazi Appreciation Society, He so he used to have this, some kind of bootleg tape of a show, and I haven't been able to track down exactly what show it was, uh, I think it's something from the Masquerade in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh-huh. I remember that but, club. But anyway, he tells he tells the story about that Guy said before they started Margin Walker. He had this little story about when Guy was a child, his dad would come home and Guy would run upstairs and like get in a bath and get all lathered up and soaped up like because it was bath time. Mm-hmm. And there's one particular time where he got all soaped up like a snowman with, with lather and called for his dad to come up and you know tell him he did a good job and he just stood there calling for him but his dad never came up the stairs and he figured he was preoccupied with his mom or doing something 
So the song uh, Margin Walker, this is how he's like introducing the, the song at the show. <laughs> the song is kind of like about rejection in some ways. Um, so I think it's one of those situations where it's like, obviously that's not what the song is about, quote unquote, but it might be one of those memories or life experiences that sort of played into the emotion that he's expressing in the song. Yeah, I think he's really good at that about kind of, you know, seeing this emotion behind different situations and talking about one situation uh, that is really referring to a totally different emotional situation or the emotion is, is the same behind these situations that seem vastly different on the surface. So uh, I was thinking a lot about the lyrics. I actually pulled them up just in uh, since we were doing this podcast. And, you know, you have this vibe where it is kind of like, almost seems like about some kind of assassination attempt or someone in a window, you know, it's like on the surface. But then it does really seem more like this runaway, like infatuation or love that's like just taking someone over too, you know, and he's kind of like taking you over and you're kind of wanting this or like, you know, I, I thought maybe it was more of a girl or something like that, you know, but like, you're just like, she maybe has rejected you, but you kind of can't in the, in the tread of some bastard jealousy, you know, kind of like he's kind of caught up in this thing that you can't even stop necessarily going on inside you which i have no idea you yeah. know but i just thought that and i think it's cool that there's a number of geese songs that are, you know, there will be this whole situation that seems maybe like you know like in this that is a, is a guy with a gun in a window you know but no this is more about something actually personal it's just the imagery he uses to describe it yeah totally the it's it's a very fascinating song like there's so much going on that's it's like a mashup of yeah, like assassination imagery, but maybe also peeping Tom imagery and like stalking somebody. Um, mm-hmm. They're, they're all dark, these sort of definitely. interrelated images. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's dark. And so it has this like kind of, yeah, this kind of unhinged vibe about it. That's really cool. You know, the guy's kind of a little bit, you know, uh, you know, on the edge of something happening bad or something, you know? Yeah, some kind of obsession. Yeah, definitely and an obsession. Yeah. Yeah, I think you hit on something important uh, with the line, I feel like I'm in the tread of some bastard jealousy. It's like the person, the speaker of this song is describing almost like an external force that's controlling him. And that, that comes up in um, uh, in the line in the chorus, trajectory passing right, right through. Yeah. through. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like it's not something internal. It's like some outside force that's causing me to act in a crazy way yeah like once and, you've gotten infatuated yeah. i don't know what what about about say it is about a girl or something and you're just like you can't stop thinking about her now it's almost beyond you because it's built up such power and force and it almost needs to come out in some way you know but you're trying to figure figure out how that's going to be or what what you know or you're or almost trying to stop it it seems you know in a way you know but now or maybe he is not you know but yeah and i'm going to set myself on fire he's just you feel that like internal I don't know. I'm on the edge of, of of losing it, kind of thing. Yeah, and there's so much violent imagery too, right? Get, set myself on fire, but also um, split my seams, and then they drop in a fuse, like like he's imagining himself as a bomb that's like about to go off. Yeah, and of course. Yeah. yeah, definitely some like sniper related yeah. imagery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool, and I and I'll, you know I feel like it's kind of like he's. Uh, waiting room in some ways you know for these early stuff you know came waiting room was such an awesome song it's so anthemic and like anthemic and like just like you know sing along but in a way it's also really abstract you know like what are you really singing about you know but you you feel it and you want to yell it out with everyone else and i feel like this kind of song is kind of has that same sort of thing going on where it really is like this anthem and you know you know and you're feeling it but then in a way even especially as a 16 year old you know i definitely was feeling it 
I have no idea also what it was about, especially at the time. You know, I know even more now, like really reading and thinking about it more, but uh, it does have that kind of quality, you know, and it was the way it started out that, that EP too. Yeah, I, that's funny you say that. I think if there's one Fugazi song that gets stuck in my head and I just find myself sort of singing it or humming it at odd times, it's probably this one. Like I'm, I just find myself... You know, chanting the chorus, untraceable, yeah. untranslatable. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. It's, yeah, yeah. It's so cool. And I'm, I love uh, Guy's use of, like, alliteration and stuff. He does so much with that, you know, of repeating consonants. Or he's repeating a vowel with the on and on. But, yeah, like, it's uh, so cool. I'm trying to see if there's any, any examples of it in this song. But definitely, you know, that untranslatable, un, untraceable. It's, it's really cool. He does a lot of that. That also raises another recurring theme in Fugazi lyrics, which is a difficulty in communication, a difficulty in language. Like that's something that comes up in promises, in burning, in stacks, uh, and and here like this untranslatable, can't explain all I ever wanted to do. And later on, uh, he refers to a problem with the language. It's like, yeah, he has this some kind of burning desire or emotion within him that is like completely unexpressible other than it just it makes him feel like he's going to explode, explode. or do something yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, and that's why you do play music, you know, having that feeling. You know, you're like, oh my God, I got to get this feeling out. You know, it's, but, but uh, yeah, I wonder if you see it more. I guess Promises is an Ian song. I was trying to think if you see it more in Geese songs. So it's almost little bit like rights of spring era stuff too when there's like so many emotions inside and you're like trying to get these emotions out in this in, in this song that you can't quite get out but uh yeah, it, yeah. it's funny it, like they they each have a couple of songs where it's it seems definitely about issues with communication um so yeah it's almost like an even split between them which i i don't usually think of them as having a lot in common uh, as far as thematic material for their songs goes. Yeah. But that's one of them. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and then there's what the last line too. It's not even on here. We know when the song is just so awesome and powerful and then all of a sudden it explodes into that final part after what it's after the second chorus, I think, you know, that the new riff comes in. And uh, what does he say? Uh, you want the mother load? I swing the payload. Uh, they, don't, they don't write it on the lyrics here that I'm looking at. You know, um, but that that point is, is always so awesome when he says that too, you know. Yeah, it's it's almost it takes it up to a new level of unhingedness because it's like yeah more rapid delivery and uh, yeah it, it, this song keeps taking it up a notch. Yeah, you don't really think it can, and then and that, when that final part comes in, I guess it goes back to the chorus kind of after that. But still, that uh, yeah, when it finally explodes into that, it's great. I guess they do that a lot. It kind of happens in provisional too when that big explosion happens. Yeah, well, to talk about how the song is structured. Um, a little bit. Uh, I, I mean, I guess we can go from the beginning as far as how the music goes, wh- where it starts out with this sort of muted strumming down the fretboard, mm-hmm. uh, possibly with a, I'd say probably there's a flange effect on that. Um, yeah, but you, you can kind of get that just, you know, sliding your finger or doing that harmonic, uh, like, yeah. a light har- like a light harmonic up and down the fret kind of with that. You know, you kind of will we'll get that like harmonic moving up and down and we just lightly across the string. So yeah, and I always just thought of it as being that. Uh, yeah, it it really might be because w- when they did it live, like in live recordings, they sort of nailed the sound. So yeah. I I could never tell if they 
added a little bit of a flange effect in the studio or something, or it's just my brain pr- playing tricks on me. I think it is that, yeah. you know, just like natural harmonics, just sliding up and down the string, you know, up yeah. so with him like doing that fast picking, you get that sort of sound. That's what's, excuse me, and, uh, that's what's so cool about Fugazi too, the fact that, you know, there's no pedals, and then they just have this like really simple direct signal into these amps, you know, un- unlike Sonic Youth with these so many alternate tunings and pedals and sounds to get these crazy... Uh, you know, walls of guitar feedback. Fugazi just did it with so little and had such like a, I don't know, large arsenal of different sounds and different things they could do with those two guitars. That muted strumming down the fretboard thing, it seems like a simple thing to do, but I don't, I feel like I can't get the exact sounds that Ian got on this track. Like it ends up having a real sort of train tracks feel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's the right word for it. But it's, yeah, I, I don't know. He he'd really had a way of... Uh, pulling everything he could out of just that yeah simple yeah guitar and, yeah, de- and the knobs and everything he could do with it yeah definitely definitely and uh you know it's so cool at fugazi shows too because they were they were always um you know so much energy this two guitar onslaught you know and then all of a sudden now they just lost one of those guitars but it would just go way up in energy because you were like oh wow here it comes you know it's always great moment when he would put down the guitar you know and he's was such a good dancer and just the whole vibe would change a little bit and you know they were going to do these classic old songs and uh yeah i remember seeing margin walker or you know or you know as glue man when everything goes insane uh it's really cool that even without those two guitars would almost go up in energy it does sound like especially from the beginning of this song like there are two guitars um and like there are different yeah, two guitar tracks on this at least i wasn't sure yet when he started playing i actually thought about that because i always assumed all of 13 songs was the one guitar but then when I was listening today, I was like, maybe I'm wrong about that. But then, yeah. So when they played this song live, they yeah, he didn't play. Yeah, guitar I was watching a few clips of it on YouTube last night. And I just played and instantly. I kept playing a, a, bu- a bunch of them, and uh, yeah, yeah. I never saw him play guitar on it. And so he must not have played on the first uh, provisional, I guess, and then the second one reprovisional, I guess, he played on. And yes. you know, I'm, I'm a fan of the first one. I love provisional. I think that one just has this cool, like, there's almost this nice mellowness to it. It's just like a beautiful song. You know, and reprovisional to me sounds like, oh, we're going to make it rock extra hard. It seems like it's just trying to make it rock. You know, it doesn't, I don't know, I, I like the first one better. And it's funny, I feel like that's with uh, anything I've done where I was like, oh my God, now we're doing the song, but right now we know how to make it rock and then I'll do it again or re-record it. And in the end, I feel like usually the original is the way to go. You know, the, the first, you just you just got it with that first pass or the first try on it. Not that reprovisional is bad, but I, I, I'm a provisional yeah. fan. We're really going to have to do a deep dive on that uh, in that episode. But um, yeah, I wonder why they never, and none of the lyrics ever put that last line, you know, or that last, it was just an off the cuff thing. He does it twice that, and it's so awesome. And I remember hearing it like, whoa, it sounds so powerful. I'm not sure what he's saying with, with you want the mother, uh, what did he say? You want the mother load? I swing the payload. It's so cool. But uh, yes. yeah, it's never written in any of his li- time, anywhere I see the lyrics written out. So yeah, the, there's that opening guitar thing. Then the drums come in, just like sort of hi hat and and the kick and this great bass line. It's like a very simple but really good. This is this is one of those songs that like when I was learning how to play instruments in high school, I would play this one up in my room after school and just like um, just really jam on it playing bass. And I, I yeah, love this. it's so cool. I love the way their songs just the repetition in it and the bass lines too. It really does set up such a hypnotic thing that they, you know, you can just go off and build on with all the guitars. And uh, Joe is such a such a great bass player, and the way him and Brendan lock into grooves is really, really unique. 
and uh, I just love and Joe's whole you know just yeah, his character because he's so so mellow and the way even in his Fuzzy shows the way he just sits back and just holds it together really holding like son then the sonic side of things the whole band together you know because the guitars are just going off and going over which way you know so he's just really this rock that's sitting back there and and driving the band. I love in particular how Joe on this song, like he starts out and spends most of the song sort of in the middle of the of the bass guitar's range. Uh, and then at the part where uh, Guy is singing, uh, I yeah. want a clear shot to you, he's like, he goes down to the low notes and he's like, bum, bum. It's, and it's just so impactful when he, he finally like goes to the low range oh, of, of yeah totally and they were so right good there. at that just you know really just figuring out how it's gonna have the most impact you know oh, i'm gonna have one guitar start this and another guitar come in and you know coming for someone like you know who came out of this tradition of like you know loving these guitar harmonies and iron maiden and stuff you know when i was 13 and whatnot you know i feel like even in fugazi i got i got so much of that like wow the way they would play guitars you know the way they would interlock their guitars and then you know, with the and the bass would change different underneath it to create a whole other level it's uh, yeah, it was just so great. You know, it really like took me over as the main thing that, you know, once I found DC and Fugazi at the top of that for years. I guess the structure of this song, like I think the real trick uh, about um, the contrast they present in this song is between this sort of like loose and sloppy feel in most of the verses, mm-hmm. right? Like Ian's just sort of playing all kinds of crazy harmonics and doing muted strums and uh, crazy shit that almost punk that straightforward power chord chorus yes exactly right they sort of like all of a sudden like it's it's so sloppy feeling until Gee sings that line shooting it Dude, right on but, you but, and then but, it gets but, super yeah. tight the band mm-hmm. like just like locks in yeah yeah definitely and it's such a thing they do all the time too that ability of Fugazi to just come from something so loose into just nail it together into something so tight you know at the drop of a hat and um it always amazes me too, you know, and some of those live clips watching him, you know, you know that no, the no set list thing, you know, that that, that Fugazi would do that I always heard, or, or just calling out songs. And I remember in there, uh, I think I'm remembering this right, uh, but I, in, the, in the practice space down there, I feel like there was a big like chalkboard or bulletin board with like so many songs written on it. I guess it was the songs Fugazi knew how was playing or knew how to play, and it was just so, so many, you know. I'm, I'm not, I have some weird memory. I'm just remembering it now, so I think that was what. I'm, I think that was what it was. But uh, yeah, it just kind of blowing me away, you know, just even with Dead Meadow. And I don't think I was like, I don't know if we remember half the songs from the last record, you know, you know, but uh, just that just that they were ready to like, you know, play any of these songs at the drop of the hat. And it was really cool. It was cool being in that, in that practice space and recording, you know, and just thinking of that, I guess probably maybe where some of that instrument stuff was recorded, I would imagine, because they did have, uh, I think it was Guy's Machine, a Tascam 8-track that was set up that they really must record on for practices there. Oh yeah, maybe. Um, I'm trying to remember. The, the, is there like a special name for that for Joe's house? Um, uh, it was the one in Arlington that was that. You know, it wasn't like Pirate House or anything. Uh, yeah, we actually recorded uh, the Pirate House. I guess where Guy lived in. Uh, I don't know. Someone, was it one of the early Fugazi shows? Was there? I think. Yeah, the, I don't know if the Pirate House where uh, I know Guy did a lot of recording because uh, we actually ended up. Uh, Steve lived there, so the first Matador record and the second Matador record, all the overdubs were recorded in that basement where I think. Is this Broad Branch Road? Uh, the Joe's house? I think so. Okay, yeah, because that's... Um, I'm looking at the liner notes to the instrument right now, and yeah, I, I had forgotten that, but yeah. So the Floating Boy demo, for example, it's uh, like credited as recorded at Broad Branch Road, so yeah, I think that's the yeah. one. Yeah. 
because we played with them. It was the argument had just come out. So it was, it was late. I was like, you know, in the end, but that would make sense that some of the instrument stuff was recorded there. And then, uh, but yeah, the Pirate House also is where I know they recorded a lot. And that was, uh, we actually ended up with a whole bunch of, I think when the Pirate House was sold, even though it was just sold to someone new, uh, we ended up with a bunch of reel-to-reels. Some of them, I think, of bands that probably Guy recorded or uh, or uh, different Discord things. We eventually got back to various people, but you had like Monorchid reels and you had a reel-to-reel with, uh, I think there was a Warmers one, maybe the Sorts. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's... That's really cool, and I like the idea of imagining um, how they would practice, and yeah, that totally makes sense that they would sort of have all their songs up on a big board uh, so they could be like, okay, we haven't played that one in a while, like, let's work on that. Um, yeah, I'm, I think I'm remembering that right, and I remember it being like, wow, you know, that's that's so many songs, you know, when they just that they were always in such great shape like that you know to call it a song and just play it yeah. and how much they practiced you know and I, and I wonder that you know there was that thing with talk where they were going to do Coachella and I think that they ended up not doing it and I you know it was, just, it was just like to get back into that kind of shape the amount of work it would take or to or to, to do a show and not be in that shape didn't seem right I wonder because I would have loved to see another or just have Fugazi playing again but I was uh yeah wonder if that's why yeah it's um it's a lot to live up to for sure the way they <laughs> The way mm-hmm. they uh, rocked a, a live show. Um, yeah, I, I think that's probably exactly right. The only other, uh, just a couple of things that I had, just notes on the song, were mm-hmm. the I like the backing vocals on this. They really lend a lot of energy. Um, you know, Ian joins in on the line, so, so beautiful, right? And yeah. there are also Guy backing vocals, like he's yeah, doing backups for himself, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's the whole thing. It's kind of like a old school hip hop beastie boys feel uh so i like it when they when they do that really i uh, mean i love the yeah i love the back and forth and i noticed that too because i was like wait that's ian there and then other times later in the song now and the chorus is definitely key, you know, <laughs> yes. doing the kind of hype man for himself on that and that stuff <laughs> uh but yeah i know Ian does the so is there any other times does he comes in i know live he comes in on the bastard jealousy sometimes um i I'm think sure maybe he he, on the record he come in when uh i'm gonna set myself on fire they, they both uh, sing fire fire uh, you're right totally yeah so many cool moments yeah it's such a, it's a, it's such a great song yeah yeah and that's like i said it always felt like you know that first anthem of a waiting room you know and this was like okay the kind of the answer to that or Guy's version of that because it is like this to me you know it's just like you see the way it's played so much too it seems that it fit that kind of role at least in my mind and uh the, the other moments i just have to mention is the little sort of breakdown part where uh bass is dropped out and it's just drums and guitar i guess brendan's doing like flams on the snare yeah but but yeah yeah sounds uh, so yeah, great it's another example you forgot you're so good at working with such like a simple bag of tools like we just do so much with coming in and out and i, I think i love that and, I, and again i guess coming from this you know, I had to play Iron Maiden one more time, but but you know, but just like the <laughs> idea of like, oh, you know, like wow, this guitar would do this, and then the second guitar comes in playing the harmony, and then the bass changes notes underneath it. That I, you know, I, I loved, and uh, I feel like in this raw, uh, but equally intricate sense, you know, Fugazi does stuff like that all the time. We're like, okay, we'll pull this out, and then when we put that back in, we can make it extra powerful by dropping this down and an octave here, and really, you know, all these things intricately worked out for for the most impact. Yeah, and then just yeah. practicing their asses off. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 exactly. So tight, and it uh, it ends with such a cool chord, 
you know that accord and that's kind of a different chord than you've heard in the rest of the song if i remember you uh, yeah it just serves as sort of like a bridge into and the same um so it's sort mm-hmm. of the, the recorded track cuts off kind of abruptly yeah i almost li- i listened to that yeah last night i was like does it go into that one it almost sounds like they're letting it fade over but no it actually does yeah have a hard cut and that one starts um yeah, speaking of how great Fugazi was live, I, I was looking to see if there are any covers of Margin Walker, and the, the only prominent one I could really find is that uh, Wild Flag uh, played it, and that's that's on YouTube. I hate to, uh, you know, no shade because like it's a they're a band that's, you know, it's it's a good band and they're full of talented people, but man, it really pales in comparison to Fugazi doing it live, and yeah, it's it's just sort of like every element is is just not as good as uh, the way Fugazi did it. Uh, maybe having yeah, well, a keyboard instead of a bass player might contribute to that. <laughs> that's difficult. I know, well, Fugazi is one, one of these bands that, you know, their songs are so simple, these parts are so simple, but so hard to ever cover because there's so much about their idiosyncrasies and what they bring to it and how they play it, you know, that makes it Fugazi. You know, it's not like Burning or something. It's just these that one little pattern. Dun, dun, yeah. dun, dun, dun. But, you know... It, so, you know, you can sit there and jam on people that actually cover that song and make it anything worth listening to. Like, it doesn't seem possible. <laughs> I'm trying to think if I ever covered any of uh, these guys. I guess the high school I used to cover For Want Of and Rites of Spring. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, so once, but that was really early on being in D.C. I kind of was like, we can't, can't, we can't cover a Fugazi song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, if I ever tried, like, I think it would have to be going really great or I would just be like, no, let's abort this idea. We can't, if we're not playing mm-hmm. it excellently, what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. Or do it in an entirely different genre. So you're really <laughs> just getting away from you know, that, some kind of ambient or, uh, you know, afternoon relaxing version of certain Fugazi songs or something. I think we've, uh, we've, probably said our piece about uh, Margin Walker. Could I ask you uh, if you would like to participate in ratings? Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? Because on this podcast, every episode, we uh, try to see if we can rate this song on a scale of one to five stars, but only just in the context of the Fugazi catalog. So from your like least favorite to your most favorite Fugazi songs, uh, where do you think this would fall for you? You know, there's you know, being that there's probably a good number of top rated ones, I think this is, you know, one of the five star Fugazi songs to, for me. You know, this is one of the classic Gee songs to me. So this is definitely up there. You know, it's especially for that record, you know, which has a tons of great a number of great songs, you know. This one is like the the number one Gee song for me on on 13 songs as a on both those EPs. I think I have to agree. It's um, this is not one of those ones that's a difficult decision for me. I think it's five stars all the way. It's, yeah, uh, I mean, I'm honored to talk about it, you know. And then, and uh, yeah, actually, uh, there's one last story that uh, I actually uh, and I feel bad about. It. I don't think I've you know I've really talked to Guy about it ever, but uh, as a show that uh, Dead Meadow played, and um, we uh, I had my Echoplex broke, you know, and I was like, oh no, we used to use that all the time for songs. I knew Guy had one, and I was like, oh Guy, like like. <clears throat> Could we run up and like, can I borrow your Echoplex just for the show? It was that Velvet Lounge, you know, that small little place, but Guy and oh, Kathy yeah. came down to it, you know, which is amazing. There's actually a picture from that show of Guy and our drummer, Mark, uh, both in matching parkas, matching like gray military parkas with the fur around it. I think it's in, it's in an, um, uh, Antonio's book that she put out. Oh, wow. Well. wife put out a book. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, 
and then but my sister had taken our van so then he's, he didn't drive so i was like oh no i don't have a ride i guess okay i'll figure something out and somehow you know i randomly there were some kids right there and i asked these kids to uh give us a ride you know could you just give us a ride up the street real quick you know it's five minutes up in mount pleasant and uh, so we hopped in the car with these kids and then uh the first thing these kids do is pull out this like giant Sherlock Holmes, like wizard looking marijuana pipe, you know, <laughs> and like, you know, cause it's dead meadow, you know, they got to get stoned, you know, stone rock. And, and then I don't know, I just always felt bad cause I, I know it's not, you know, like, and, and they were s- super cool and they didn't say a word, but I could just tell that I was, I was like, ah, oh, guys, I was trying to like tell those guys, like, I'd rather just like get this act thing and get back, you know, but just created this situation that I feel like I never was like, oh man, I'm sorry about that. Like, yeah, those kids, that it didn't, uh, <laughs> it wasn't ideal. And I felt like, uh, but it was so cool. But you know, it's amazing because he went back and he's the sweetest guy and loaned me the Echoplex for the show. The show happened, all echoes intact and whatnot. <laughs> but I was always like, well, come on, kids. You know, like, can we just get this? And of course, that would be this giant, like, yeah, I don't know. It's a ridiculous story. But uh, I always wanted to be like, oh, I'm sorry. Those kids were like <laughs> pulling that out. That's hilarious. Well, all right, there you go, Guy. You heard it here. Sorry for that. To, <laughs> sorry for the kids. I love. I love the image of that Sherlock Holmes pipe, like the. Uh, yeah, it was something like, like that. Like I feel like they were even like we call this Dragon's Fire. Or something. <laughs> I don't know. Like something the uh, silly like that, and I was like, oh, yeah, let's just go get this. You know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, they're so cool and so mellow, and it, and it was, you know there wasn't like you know any or anything at the time, but because uh, they're all just the chillest guys, you know the great, you know. So laid back. I know everything that you see written, written about Fugazi is like, though they seem like they're all grim and want to say no, you know, that, that that's the furthest thing from the truth. And uh, yeah, it was just an honor. It was so, it was so great to be able to like play those shows with them, you know, and just experience that. And it's funny with the first Dead Metal record, because in my mind, we were like, okay, we're doing something totally different. This, this is this is our stoned out vision of like 60s, you know, uh, um, Black Sabbath. And, but when I hear it now, I hear so much Fugazi and all these octaves and all this stuff that I, I thought we were moving away from but it's like right on the surface now when i hear it i'm like oh yeah that's the total fugazi type part <laughs> and that is too <coughs> well there you go uh, yeah by the way um b- before we get away from it um i guess i'll ask you later if you have something to uh promote but yeah is what would you say if i have any listeners out there who uh aren't familiar with dead meadow do you have anything for them to like check out first as a good gateway listen yeah well there's two i think the the first uh record is the one i talked to you about that that was all done in my parents basement in dc i definitely the first de- self-titled one and then uh feathers which is we just reissued recently is a a really good one i think that uh gets into that kind of later more moody song oriented dead meadow right on cool um well let me before we wrap up i i'd like to give uh the the people who are on the Facebook group for this podcast, a little bit of a voice. So uh, just to read a sampling of their comments about Margin Walker, uh, Richard Gregoire, uh, I like that name. It's uh, He's a looks like a first-time commenter, I think. Richard Gregoire says, this song that clinched the deal for me. I bought the first EP when it came out and I liked it, but when I heard Margin Walker for the first time, I was sold. Carl Goldspink yes. says, beyond that iconic rattling harmonic intro of Ian's, I always thought Joe's bass line pushes it towards being the nearest they ever got to a pop song in an anthemic kind of way. I would say provisional, actually, almost maybe on that one, too. You know, that sounds like just classic, like, I don't know, almost like an Echo and Bunnyman song or something. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that for sure. And uh, also talking about the harmonics. Uh, Pat McGauley says, I remember a few years back hearing the harmonics on this Brian Eno song 
and he links to there's a, a Brian Eno song from Here Come the Warm Jets called The Pawpaw Negro Blowtorch. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, there's a part in that at uh, 1 minute 50 seconds that sounds a lot like the beginning of Margin Walker. So yeah, Pat's wondering if that might have influenced Ian's guitar part. Um, so that's that's a good one to check out. I'll, I'll link that in the show notes for listeners. Yeah, I wonder. And um, Eric Eddy says, Guy's vocal delivery is urgent and tortured, and the bass drop out towards the end, leaving just Ian's SG and Brendan's snare always make my hair stand up. And finally, Bradford Reed Goodwin says, not the only Fugazi song that links voyeurism with violence, but definitely the most air bass guitar worthy. worthy. Um, right. So I wonder what, which other ones are voyeurism with violence. Yeah, I was. I'm wondering what he, what Bradford's thinking of right now. Um, I'm. Yeah, there's uh, definitely Giza is so good about that that unhinged quality of just this this uh, on the edge, you know, and it just comes through in such a great way. And even as it gets more refined, you know, with like rendered or something, it still has this kind of yeah. great like on the edge of losing it, but but you know, but so in control at the same time. So it's just great. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it, it sounds like people are as into Margin Walker as we are. So, yeah, great song. Yeah, I'm honored. I'm honored to come on and talk about this one. So thank you for having me on this show. Absolutely. And, and for this song. And before you go, um, let me give you a chance to do plugs. If you have any, where can listeners reach you? Do you have anything, any projects in the works? Uh, yeah, there's a new... Um, it should be out again, too. We did a live streaming thing. That's going to be the record now for sale is out now it's going to be uh re-released this stream was up for a couple of weeks but that'll be out again but it's out on a uh, levitation records and it's available also on the dead meadow um at big Car- at big, big cartel web store so if you want to go on there the, everything that we have available is on there right on check it out everybody yeah. and as for me as always the email address is fugazi a to z at gmail.com so email me about whatever you can join that Facebook group I mentioned. Just search the alphabetical Fugazi and uh, chime in with what you think about the next song I'm asking everybody about. And otherwise, I hope you'll join me for the next episode of this show when we will be discussing merchandise. Until then, keep your eyes open. <laughs>